Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. The cloud of debt has reached almost $1 trillion for college graduates, but there is a silver lining. Joining us today is Roger Mashad. Chairman of the College Savings Foundation, a leading nonprofit helping American families save for their children's college education. He'll be sharing with us some insights that they've learned from their annual State of College Savings Survey of 800 parents that shows things are trending in the right direction. Welcome, Roger. Welcome. Hey, it's great to have you here today. And why don't we just start out with, for our listeners, talking about what exactly is the College Savings Foundation? Well, the College Savings Foundation's membership is made up of all the folks behind the 529 college savings industry, from investment managers to plan administrators to state officials and state partners. All of us kind of work together to try to continue to move the ball, which is growing college savings throughout the United States. Hey, you mentioned college savings. Let's quickly start out with what's college debt these days? What is the current state of the union as far as student debt? Yeah, it's scary. Earlier this year, student debt just surpassed $1 trillion. That's greater than all consumer credit card debt combined. It's a big number. When you start measuring things in trillions, I think you wake a lot of people up. You know, and that just doesn't make the media. (laughs) It is, of course, a reality. Now, I know the foundation does the College Savings Foundation annual State of College Savings Survey, and I think this last time you polled like a thousand parents across the country to try and determine how are families dealing with saving for college. Tell us some of the results. Well, we're excited to see that there's been a big increase in terms of families that are saving for college. It's a sign, I think, of the markets overall have performed pretty well. So I think people are not as hesitant as they might have been just a few short years ago to put money to work in mutual funds or other types of investment options that are available in 529 college savings plans. Currently, 55% of parents are saving. That's up some 25% from our survey just a year ago. There used to be a negative savings rate in the country, so I've heard more recently there's been a positive savings rate, so we're kind of seeing the same thing with the 529s. Why do you think parents are looking to save more now? I think it's a combination of things. They're recognizing the the rising cost of college, because certainly the media has done a very good job in terms of covering that. If you were to look at a four-year public college today, you're looking at $18,000 a year on average, a four-year private college at nearly 40. And if we were to extrapolate that out forward. If you've got a newborn today and you take a look at the numbers, you know, what it might cost at the similar rate of growth that we've seen in college costs, it's daunting. You're looking at public universities at over $200,000 and many private universities for four years projected to run, in some cases, above $400,000. So that certainly has made parents aware that, you know, if I'm going to have some success in terms of getting my child into a college that is right for them, that they feel comfortable with, you know, I've got to get started as early as possible. And when they read further about the kind of debt that students are leaving universities with today, on average, a student graduates today with some $25,000 in student debt. It's significant, and overall, when you talk about a trillion dollars, you're really talking about a number that we would hope won't continue to grow, and hopefully parents are stepping up. We're beginning to see it, trying to take this problem into their own hands. So what is the primary way that parents are funding college today? If you were to look at participants anyway, I mean, most parents are choosing savings or putting money to work today. They'll open an account 
it's relatively easy for a parent to get started. They can open an account with the account minimums in many cases, somewhere between $25 and $50. And then to that, they're adding systematically. So not everybody's going in at the minimums, but for example, if you had a lump sum to invest in any program around the country, you could do that. But I think the important thing is along the way, you're adding to that account on a systematic basis. Monthly seems to work best. And we're beginning to see that participant levels with automated, automatic savings attached to it are becoming the norm, which is a significant achievement, not only for financial advisors who are certainly face-to-face and talking to young American families about getting started early, about saving systematically, but helping them put those programs in place. Now, your survey touched upon where parents or college students are getting the funds from. What did your survey reveal as far as what's popular there as far as ways of funding college? Well, over 40%, some 43% are saving, which is significant. And their expectation is that is where the majority of their source of funds, I guess you'd say, for future college costs. A good 25% are relying on grant scholarships and direct aid. So, I mean, that's kind of keeping your fingers crossed and hope you get an attractive aid package. 16%, according to our survey, are going forward, rely on loans, and not only the student borrowing, but in many cases, parents taking down debt as well. Along the way, you see many parents, some 11%, the remainder expect to use their current income at the time that their child is in college to pay for college. So it's that combination. It's savings up to the point of attendance at university, 25% grants and scholarships and direct aid, 16% in borrowing, and then some 11% utilizing current income at that time. Now, one thing you just kind of talked about is parents borrowing money for their kids. And one thing I learned as a parent just recently, children are no longer able to typically borrow on their own. And a lot of those loans are requiring parents co-signing for those loans and taking responsibility for those loans. And just a side note, I've been advising my clients now for the last several years that they should be looking at getting life insurance on those kids because if they're co-signing for the loans or taking on their own debt, if something happens to one of those children, hey, they're just reaching retirement age. And if all of a sudden they've got forty dollars or $50,000 of additional debt they weren't counting on, that could have a negative impact on their retirement. So really something to think about. Yeah, your point speaks to a couple of things. One is that college savings is part of a much broader program when you're meeting face-to-face with a financial advisor. You're planning for retirement. You're planning for future college costs. Even if you're a grandparent, in some cases, you're planning on contributing towards your grandchildren's college expenses. So it's a much larger picture. It's not just today's the day that we solve this. On any given day, it's probably a good idea to make sure you've got a lot of ducks lined up so you're moving forward in a positive way to address all of those needs. And I think the other is, you know, you talk about parents co-signing for loans. Student loan debt must be repaid. You cannot get student loan debt discharged in a bankruptcy. So there's no easy way out of this. At some point, someone's going to have to pay. It's either that student will pay off that student loan debt on a systematic basis once they graduate from university. In the event that doesn't happen and a parent or a grandparent was a co-signer on that student loan, then they're looking to collect from them as well. So the important point here is you want to stay away from taking on any debt, if at all possible. In many cases, it's needed, and folks are doing it just because that's the only solution that they can find. But there's a lot of ways, I think, if you've got a little bit of time to address this problem, that you can get your hands around it before it's too late. Well, as you pointed out, the ways of funding for college at 16% through borrowing and loans, that's what's got us to the trillion of debt. The good news is, of course, so much more coming from savings, that's also a positive. So maybe expand on that a little bit, how that is really good news. 
every dollar saved is a dollar that you're not going to have to borrow. And I think that's the way to look at it. Even if you were to work some of the college savings calculators that are available through financial advisors, through their advisor firms, online, there's many, many available. Even program websites in many cases typically have college planning tools. Let's say I did save $100 a month going forward and I have 10 years or 12 years or 5 years. The accumulation that you come up with after assuming a rate of return that you're comfortable with might not seem like it's going to get the job done. But let's say you could save 10000 or 25000 Or if you had 18 years and you could save $50,000, that's $50,000, $25,000 that you're not going to have to borrow and that child is not going to have to repay at an interest rate down the road. So I think it's quite significant. The reliance on student loans for parents today is maybe reflective of what they might have had to do some 20 years ago, in some cases some 30 years ago. And if you look at a typical student loan package 20 and 30 years ago, the expectation was you'd get a package that was 60 to 70% in the form of direct aid, mainly grants and scholarships. And the balance would be that 30 or 40%, somewhere in that range, would be in the balance of a loan package. Today, it's the complete opposite of that. Your financial aid award, in most cases, and you should feel confident in the numbers because we look at them all the time, is 60 to 70% of that package would be represented by loans, money that you're going to need to borrow, and the balance 30 to 40% in the form of grants and scholarships. Interesting. Well, that's great. Now, of course, today's topic is saving for college. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, let's talk about, of course, the most popular savings tool Americans can use for saving for college today. So please stay tuned. The purpose of this message is to stop your heart for just a few seconds. If you weren't here, what would happen to your family? Would there be enough money for them to have the kind of life you want them to? People with life insurance know the answer. Life insurance isn't for the people who die. It's for the people who live. A reminder from the Life and Health Insurance Foundation for Education, a nonprofit organization. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today on saving for college. And we have no better solution to get advice from today than Roger Mashad, who's the chairman of the College Savings Foundation. And we've been talking about the reality of debt and going to school today and the solution of having savings to pay for schooling versus just acquiring debt. So let's talk about the better tool that can be used today for saving for college, and it's the 529 college savings plans. Now, in your survey, that was the most popular vehicle for parents to save. Has there been any change there? Oh, absolutely. Year over year, it's quite significant. Some 37% of parents today are utilizing the 529 college savings plan. That's up from 29% a year ago. That's a 28% increase year over year. We feel happy about that. We think the 529 college savings plan in most situations is the correct savings vehicle for parents and grandparents who are trying to put money away systematically for college. Now, I might have a biased opinion, being that I help clients with 529 plans, but I'm really surprised it seemed to take so long for it to start to gain some momentum. Why is that, that now we are finally seeing an increase? Is it people finally becoming aware of the 529s or more aware than they were in the past? Yeah, if you take a look at the industry overall, we've just celebrated our 15th anniversary. You could argue 15 years is a reasonable time to get the word across. But we're seeing that financial advisors are a big part of the discussion point. They're having those direct conversations with parents and grandparents, and that's really been a big part of it. And I think that the direct sell programs, the programs for the do-it-yourselfers, have done a terrific job in terms of providing information maybe directly at their website or through the media with some of the advertising and the promotions that they're doing to make 
parents and grandparents much more aware of the right vehicle to use and the specific benefits that are delivered when you utilize a 529 college savings plan. And I just noticed in your survey the stark difference in the amount of money people are able to save using the 529 versus maybe some other traditional type ways of saving. And I think one reason that a lot of people are finally gravitating toward the 529 is there's some pretty significant tax benefits, are there not? Absolutely. Every dollar that you put into a 529 college savings plan grows tax-free. So while that money's working for you, it's invested in an investment vehicle that you feel most comfortable with. The risk tolerance spread from the very, very most conservative investment options, in many cases, those may very well be FDIC-insured accounts, right on up to investment options that are solely invested in stocks internationally, in some cases. You can find the right fit for you with such a broad spectrum. So while that money is growing year over year, you're not paying taxes. And at the end of the day, when you need those dollars or savings to pay for direct college costs, as long as it's a qualified withdrawal, meaning that that withdrawal, the money you're taking out of the program is used to pay for college costs, it comes out tax-free. There's no other savings vehicle that allows you the higher level of contributions that you can put into a program. Most programs, you can put over $300,000. That's not the norm. The norm is that parent who comes in and opens an account at a significantly lower level, but most importantly, adds to it on a systematic basis. And over time, three years into it, you're five years into it, you begin to realize this is working out pretty well for me. And let's say they open an account with $5,000, just to use an example, and said, to that, I'm going to add $100 a month systematically. A few years into it, that $100 a month, they're not really feeling the pain anymore. Many parents are going back to the program and saying, I'd like to increase that monthly contribution from 100 to 200 or 250. And that is really where you can make an impact, I think, over time is paying attention to the success that you're having, adding to it systematically and having those tax advantages wrapped around it. And the other thing is there's a lot more flexibility, too, with 529s versus prior type college savings programs in that you can change beneficiaries, you can keep the money transferred from one child to another. I know one thing that a lot of clients have said to me when we talk about saving for college, well, what if little Johnny or little Susie don't go to college? Well, these 529 plans can really create a legacy for educational planning. A savings vehicle like a 529 account for any child, that child is more likely to go to university than if they had no savings in place at all. So there's an advantage kind of behind the scenes, a quiet advantage, which is if your child knows that you're saving for college and they've got some money put away for them, they begin to think in some cases maybe a little bit more positively about the experience. And I think once they're there, they realize that the benefits of attending a university, you can't put a value on it once you have that degree and you enter the workforce You've got a higher potential for earnings. You've had an experience that in many cases is something that you might very well refer to as the four best years of your life. But I think more importantly, the context that you make, most children and now young adults and adults who graduate from university eventually get involved in a career they never knew existed before their college experience. So there's some advantages that are attached to it that even go beyond the degree itself. Well, you know, anytime you're saving, regardless of what it's for, the more time you have, of course, the better opportunity you have to accumulate growth. And so when we talk about 529s, and I'm going to throw this at you, which I get this question all the time, because when you're talking to parents, probably the toughest question we get is, 
after they've heard about the 529, you'd hope by now they would have, but if it's new to them, and then you talk about some of the tax benefits that you were discussing, of course, then I have a parent look at me and say, well, my Johnny just started college this fall, so should I still do a 529? So now you have less time, of course, to accumulate because you're actually in the distribution phase. So kind of deal with that for a second for the listener is, of course, now you've lost that time for a lot of accumulation, except for how Jim laid out if you don't use it for that child. Of course, you can realign those dollars to someone else. But is the 529 a good fit for somebody who's just starting college? We hear that a lot from parents who have children who may be juniors and sophomores and seniors in high school. You know, I only have a year. I only have two years or three years to put this savings vehicle in place. If you had a freshman in university, you're looking at expenses that will continue at least over the next four years. The money that you save today, if you have the ability to do it, it's going to offset the money that you've got to outlay in year four. In some cases, I guess it would be year five if that child extended their stay at college. If they were going to go on to possibly graduate school, that's savings that you'd have to address that as well. So if you have the ability to do it, certainly I would think it's the right thing to do until your children and and if you're contributing towards grandchildren accounts until they're finished their study. Now let's talk about too when you set up a 529 account any number of people can contribute to that account could be parents grandparents brothers sisters aunts uncles what about the kids? Yeah we found that uh, in fact in addition to our parent survey we do a student survey as well what the numbers are speaking to are more children are saving for college and they feel it's part of their obligation to contribute towards college costs as well. Now, certainly to a lesser degree, if you're in high school, you may have a part-time job or maybe some of the cash gifts that you might receive at a birthday or over the holidays. They're willing to put a portion of those monies toward contributing towards their college cost as well. So I think it's a significant finding from the surveys that we've done in the past, and we've done them for a number of years now, and it kind of speaks to the responsibility that child feels as well. So what else should parents be doing to maximize their chances to fund college? I think waiting on the sidelines is the wrong thing to do. So getting started as early as possible. And again, remembering it's never too late to set money aside toward a child or a grandchild's college expense. And like you said, if even aunts and uncles and just family friends who'd like to do it can do it as well. Pay attention to the investment vehicle that you're using. If you don't have the time or expertise or even the desire to look at these quarterly statements to see if you've made the right investment decisions, and don't be afraid to utilize the expertise of a financial advisor who's doing this every day, who knows what programs are most appropriate for the citizens of the state that they're working in, that that client or that family is a resident of. There are 529 programs in particular states that offer specific benefits to their residents. Here in, I live in New Jersey. New Jersey actually offers a scholarship to resident participants who choose to go to school within the state of New Jersey. Those benefits aren't available everywhere, but it differs state by state. So Doing your homework or utilizing the expertise of a financial advisor, I think, makes the most sense. Contributing systematically, I think, is the most important part of a successful savings program. And don't be afraid to ask family and friends if they'd like to contribute as well. Come birthdays and holidays, another video game or another piece of hardware of some sort is not always a solution. It'll be out of date in the near term as it's replaced with an upgraded model. Contributing towards a college savings plan, I think, creates a legacy for parents and grandparents and other family members, even friends, because that child will know when they're attending university that there's a group of people that help get me here, and they're very grateful for that. And it shouldn't be just everyone else contributing, so let's not forget the students. So are they expected to chip in for their future? What is your philosophy? Yeah, I think most children during the summer months, especially you know once they get juniors and seniors in high school, are working 
Life's not a big party every day, so maybe setting aside or committing yourself to setting aside systematically to that program makes perfect sense, and it could make a big difference down the road. Again, we can't say it enough. Every dollar that's accumulated towards savings is a dollar that you're not signing the bottom line in terms of taking out an additional student loan. So bottom line is, if there are students listening today, just tell us what your survey of a 1,000 parents said about what they expect their children to contribute to their schooling. Absolutely. Parents want their children to contribute towards college. In fact, three-quarters expect their children to contribute along the way as well. Some 45% expect them to contribute up to one-third of the cost, which is quite significant. One in five expect them to contribute between a third and two-thirds. Ten percent expect over two-thirds. So those are pretty big numbers, but what we're finding through our student surveys as well, they're not opposed to doing all that they can to contribute along the way. And again, I think that's just part of the success that we've had in getting the message out to parents, grandparents, and children as well about the importance of saving and the importance of beginning your career without taking on a significant amount of debt on day one. Now, the College Savings Foundation, I'm sure, has a lot of resources. Where can people go for those resources, and what type of resources do you provide? You can go to our website. There are terrific tools that are available at the collegesavingsfoundation.org, or I think within your own states, certainly each state provides a program of their own, and certainly if the Financial advisors and their firm's website typically provide some terrific tools, college cost calculators. The web itself includes a whole lot of tools in terms of projecting what the college of your choice may cost some five years, 10 years, in some cases, 18 and 19 years down the road. So a lot of tools, more than ever before, are that are helping parents get started and saving effectively. Just another place where you should not go this kind of planning alone because there's plenty of resources and, of course, there are plenty of solutions to saving for college. I found it interesting, if we can wrap up the tax benefits we talked about earlier, your survey said that 82% of people think that the tax incentives for parents and grandparents should continue. I'm almost surprised it isn't 100. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the 18 that doesn't think it should? (laughs) Maybe it's the 18 that are unaware, right? There you Um, go. That's that's probably the really true answer. They probably didn't even realize there are some tax benefits. So, of course, that helps inspire people to save a little bit better. What the heck? It is a phenomenal tool and tax-free growth for higher education. That's something that everyone should educate themselves about. So, Roger, thanks for sharing your wisdom and knowledge and your contribution to the College Savings Foundation and what you do for people and certainly getting educated to save for college. And we appreciate you spending some time today educating our listeners. Now, this is also an ever-changing landscape. And so as things change and evolve, we'd like to be able to check back in with you and have you back in the future. Oh, I greatly appreciate the invite to come back and reach out anytime. I'm more than happy to help. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to Thank a friend so or family member, to just click the podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. 
Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.